to you in peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for today from the Old Testament reading, in particular, these words of Moses. I am not able to carry all of this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. And if I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. It was during one of those very busy seasons of the church year when a pastor was quickly leaving his house to go to a meeting and preparing to rush out the door. He was reminded by his wife that he should kiss his little girl goodnight. And so he robustly picked the little girl up into his arms to kiss her goodnight. And as he robustly picked her up, he happened to bring her head past the pectoral cross like mine that he was wearing in the pectoral cross scratched her on the cheek and the little girl in overdramatic fashion cried out daddy daddy your cross is killing me how profound a thought in so many ways how ironic how symbolic because indeed the crosses and the burdens of life that are carried not only by us but by others are so often those crosses and burdens that burden others because we live together and God has placed us together as mothers and fathers and children and parents and grandparents and friends and neighbors and Christians living together. The troubles and the burdens of others, whether it's those of our spouse or our children or our friend, often weigh heavily upon our minds and weigh heavily upon our hearts, even as our troubles and our burdens <coughs> often weigh heavy upon the hearts and the minds of others. Sometimes, indeed, the weight of the burdens that we bear, be it those of our own lives or those of the lives of those people that we love, are often so great that we find ourselves crying out to our Heavenly Father, even as this little girl cried out to her father, we find ourselves crying out to God saying, Father, their cross is killing me. The weight is so great. Isn't that in essence what Moses was saying in the Old Testament lesson for today, in the text for today? Here he was, pictured in your mind, the pastor, if you will, the leader certainly, of over 250,000 family units, some scholars suggest. Over 600,000 men, Scripture tells us, that were being led out of Egypt onto the Promised Land, and he was leading them. He was, if you will, their shepherd, their pastor, and he had this burden upon him. And, you know, they hadn't been out of Egypt for more than a few months, and you'd think that the memories of their 16-hour days laboring under the taskmasters of Egypt, you'd think that their memories of the fields and the quarries and the building sites of Pharaoh were still fresh in their minds. You'd think that the slaughter of their infant sons and their grandsons and their little brothers that had taken place as they would toss them into the river if they were boys to control the population of the Israelites, you'd think that the memories of these things would be fresh in their minds. And you would think also that the awesome spectacle of God's gracious delivery as he performed the multitude of miracles that he did be it the ten plagues that visited the Egyptians in order that they might indeed set the people of Israel free 
or the crossing of the Red Sea where the waters parted and were huge walls on either side of the Israelites as they crossed through on dry land, you would think, wouldn't you, that the people would have had the reminiscing thoughts of these things in their minds as they conversed with one another day in and day out about the great things that God had delivered them from and how greatly he had done it. You'd think that would have peppered their conversations. But isn't it true that the memories so often of bitter times are consumed by better times and then those memories of better times also are consumed by present bitter times so that you don't think logically of the whole picture and you don't remember the past as you should. And so it was that the Israelites, despite all that God had miraculously done to deliver them and all that he would delivered them from, they still were complaining and they were bitter because of the burden that they felt that they were burying out there in the wilderness. They were now in a situation of desert living, going between one place and a promised land. They were weary of searching here and there for water. They were tired of this manna that God was providing them from heaven. They were angry. They were self-pitying because there was no meat readily available for them to eat, and they became belly acres complaining and fretting over exaggerated deficiencies in God's administration of their lives. What ingrates. But how they typify the nature of man, and each of us as well, because God so richly and bountifully delivers us from the same thing, even as we celebrated this morning in the life of little James Richard, delivering him through baptism, from all of the perils of eternal hell that would indeed be ours were it not for his saving grace, and yet in the course of our lives, how often we too who have been saved from the same look back and don't think of those things, but rather complain about the present burdens that we bear. Luther speaks to the ingratitude and to the blindness of natural man, and he says, God overwhelms man with such frequent and great exhibitions of his miraculous powers and grace, and yet they do not pay attention, nor do they thank him, nor do they marvel at it all. But rather, he says, folk are quite capable of surprise and praise and commendation when some juggler comes into town and walks on a rope or shows a monkey for money. And Luther does indicate, isn't it, the nature of man and how quick we are to find something amazing that is really so simple and mundane and yet we overlook the greatness and the goodness of God and we complain and we fret over exaggerated deprivation. And that's what the people of Israel were doing in our text for today and then of course to whom do they bring their complaints? They didn't bring them directly to the Lord perhaps in good part because they didn't have the nerve to do it or the faith to do it and so instead they bring it to God's representative, they bring their concerns and their complaints to Moses. And he took the brunt of their groans and their grievances and day in and day out he was the, the human receptacle into which were poured all of these complaints and all of these troubles. Their disgust with each other, their dissatisfaction with the nausea of life that they had in general. But a man can only take so much. 
A man can only take so much before finally he gives up and he has his own problems, he has his own limitations, even as undoubtedly Moses did, and then when pushed to the limit, he too has to unload, he has to complain, and that's ultimately indeed what Moses did, isn't it? He became frustrated, he, Moses, became distraught with all of these burdens that were being placed upon him, and he becomes so frustrated and distraught that he cries out, Oh Lord, their cross, their burdens, their complaints are all killing me. I can't take it anymore. He becomes self-pitying. Lord, why hast thou been so hard on thy servant? He says, Why have I not found favor in thy sight that thou hast laid the burden of all this people upon me? Sounds a little bit like us from time to time. Why, Lord? Why, Lord, are you allowing these burdens of others to be laid upon me? And I can well assure you that it happens to pastors at times that they think that way. It happens indeed to fathers and mothers from time to time as they feel the strain of their child's sicknesses bearing down upon them, as they feel the stress of their teenager's problems to be more than they can handle. It sounds a lot like husbands and wives who aren't successfully coping with crisis in their own lives or perhaps they're not dealing with their own differences. Why, O oh Lord, why hast thou been so hard on thy servant? It sounds like older folks who having once looked forward to retirement now find themselves financially strapped or physically unable to do the things that they hoped they'd be able to do or hospitalized or sick all too often, emotionally tried by the troubles of their married children. It sounds like the widow in her loneliness or the widower in his loneliness. Why, Lord, hast thou been so hard upon thy servant? Why have I not found favor in thy sight that thou hast laid this burden upon me? It sounds a bit like us all from time to time, at least what we might think in the recesses of our heart, even if we don't dare with our lips confess these things to be. And so often, where do we go from there? Where do we go from asking, why, Lord, are these burdens laid upon me? Well, where did Moses go from there? Moses went from asking, why, Lord, to then blaming the Lord for his troubles. Was it I, he said, who conceived all of these people? See how he shifts it, just as his father Abraham, uh, Adam had done long before him. He shifts the blame. Was it I who conceived all of this people, he asked? Was it I who brought them forth that you should say to me, carry them? Isn't that what we're so often inclined to do, Lord? This child wasn't my idea, you know. Lord, it surely wasn't my idea to be out of work. I wanted to stay employed, but here I am. Lord, if... If only you hadn't laid all of this on me, I wouldn't have this disease or this ulcer or these migraines or this high blood pressure or this drinking problem that I've got. Lord, if you had given me a different kind of husband or a different kind of wife, I wouldn't be in the mess that I'm in now. Lord, it was your idea that my husband die and that I be all alone like Moses. We have all entertained those sinful accusations, laying the blame for these things at the feet of God as though God isn't a very good administrator of the daily affairs of our lives. 
We go from first asking why, Lord, to putting the blame on the Lord and directly, and then being a bit relieved, we get practical like Moses, and we say, okay, now that I've gotten this off my chest, now I have to be practical, and I have to address the problems that are before me, and so what, Lord, now what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to take care of this problem that's before me? Where, Lord, am I going to get meat for all of these people to eat, Moses says, when they weep constantly before me, saying, give us meat that we may eat. And knowing the heart of Moses, sympathetically understanding the emotional outbursts of his frustrated and frightened servant, God answers Moses' prayer. Despite the inadequacy of it, God graciously answers Moses' prayer, and he says, Moses, Here's how I'm going to resolve your problem. You gather for me 70 men from among the elders of Israel. You bring them to the tent of meeting. That's where I'll meet you, and you let them stand there with you, and then I'll come down, and I'll speak with you there, and I'll take the spirit which is upon you, and I will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you won't have to bear it all alone. God addresses in the most practical of ways the problem that Moses had and he does it graciously of his own good and gracious will. What a gracious God Moses had. And what a gracious God you have. He does nothing less. In Moses' case, what did he do? He brushes aside all of Moses' sinful frustration. He sifts through the anger of Moses' upset prayer. And he gets to the core of his servant's heart and his servant's concern. And then with the tenderness and with the wisdom of a patient and a loving father, he guides Moses out of his problem step by step, saying, Gather 70 men, bring them here to the tent of meeting. I will come, I will pour out my spirit upon them. They'll share your burden. And the Lord solves the problem for and with Moses step by step. And as with Moses, God has promised to hear each of our prayers as well to hear and to put up with our prayers as well, to sift through and to answer even our upset and our periodic angry prayers. Don't mistake me to mean that our anger with God is ever right or is justifiable. It's not. Don't misunderstand me to be saying that we have just reason to blame God for the frustrating predicaments that we find ourselves in in life. We don't any more than Moses did. Finding fault with God's administration of our lives is never something that we dare take lightly. In fact, dear friend, the only reason that God patiently brushed aside the anger that Moses exhibited, the only reason that he forgivenly sifts through the accusing garbage that's often implied also in our prayers, is that Moses was his son. Moses was his son through faith in the coming Messiah and the Christ who was going to come even as we are his sons and we are his daughters through the same Jesus Christ who has come and is indeed our Savior and is going to come again. God didn't simply ignore Moses' sinful outbursts any more than he could overlook and ignore our sinful and angry prayers at times. It cost Jesus Christ more pain and suffering than you and I will ever know to erase the sinful thoughts that so often prompt our pernicious petitions. The sinful thoughts that would prevent them from ever reaching the ears 
of Almighty God, but Jesus Christ paid for our sins and even the inadequacies of our prayers. And the Lord Jesus died on the cross for me and for you so that our sin wouldn't stand anymore in the way of our inadequate prayers being heard. He died and he rose again and he ascended into heaven where scripture says he lives there to make intercession for us so that we, when we don't even know how, St. Paul says, to pray as we ought. The Spirit himself, Paul says, is interceding for us. And later in that same chapter of Romans 8, we're assured that Christ himself intercedes for us in order that we're able then to draw near to God through him. That's why even our frustrated and our accusing or angry prayers have been heard, even as Moses' angry prayers were heard and answered, because of the intercession of God's own Son, Jesus Christ, who has removed from our prayers all that would disqualify them, and with the Holy Spirit intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray as we ought. What a blessing. What a blessing it is for us to have an advocate with the Heavenly Father as his very own perfect son. No greater advocate with the Father than that. Isn't it good to know that in spite of us and because of him our prayers are heard and that's why we pray as we do in Jesus' name because our prayers would not be heard were it not for the work, the atoning work, the redeeming work of our Lord Jesus Christ. A prayer then that is offered in his name that will indeed be answered according to the Father's goodwill. Ask, Jesus says, and it will be given unto you. Seek, he says, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. We pray in his name. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, the Lord says. Why not that we or our wanting prayers are worthy or merit anything at all from God? No, he heard and he answered Moses, and he hears and he answers you. And he hears and he answers me because of the death of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the constant interceding of our advocate, the Holy Spirit, and our advocate, Christ Jesus himself, who stands ever before the Heavenly Father on our behalf. And that's why, as St. James says in the epistle lesson today, is reflected in your bulletin cover that the prayer of a righteous man has great power in its effect because it's in the name and according to the will of Jesus who will indeed and can indeed do all that he intends to do for us. So friends, whenever you feel that you've got more than you can handle, as Moses did, whenever you sense that you're nearing the end of your rope, whenever you're frustrated and even angry inside because of the burdens of others that you feel the responsibility to bear, troubles which on top of your own troubles in life seem indeed to be unbearable to you, then go ahead and cry out, Lord, Lord, their cross is killing me. Help me. Lift me up. Or enable me to say with St. Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And having said it, then be absolutely confident that the Lord will come to your aid. You've got the precedence of Scripture before you. You've got it right here today in the life of Moses, whose troubles and burdens were certainly greater than most of our own. That he will come to your aid, just as he came to the aid of Moses. He can and he will do what needs in your life to be done.
And you know why he'll do it. You know why he'll do it for you. He'll do it because he didn't do it when on Calvary his only begotten Son, Christ our Lord, in essence cried out, Father, their cross is killing me. And there was nothing but silence. A deafening, crushing silence throughout the universe as heaven's angels and hell's demons must have gasped at God's response. Yes, it is my son. Their cross is killing you. But it must be. It must be. And so it was. And because it was, you have been reconciled unto the God of heaven, who then raised up his son from the dead that he might still be with us today in his word that we hear in his sacraments that we receive in order to forgive us and sustain us and to strengthen us whenever the burdens of life are there and are laid upon us. Burdens which will never ever be greater than the love and the life and the strength of his Son. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.